0: All right, my ducks are in a row. All right, John chapter 9, are you guys there already? All right, we're going to go ahead and get into it, man. Uh, We're seeing the Jews being a little feisty here in John chapter 9. The Jews are being a little feisty, uh, but we're going to just kind of talk through what's going on here and see how we can make some applications uh, to our own personal life. All right, so uh, John chapter 9, we're going to go ahead and pick up in verse uh, 13. It says this, um, they brought the Pharisees him that aforetime was blind. All right, so they're still continuing with the narrative of the blind man. Right, the man was uh, the man was blind. Jesus Christ uh, got made a clay form, put it on his, put it on his eyes. He put that clay on his eyes, and he was able to. Um, of course, he was able to see. All right, so now they're saying uh, here in verse thirteen, they brought to the Pharisees him aforetime was blind. Verse fourteen. And it was the Sabbath day when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. Then again, the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. He said unto them, he put clay upon mine eyes and I washed and do see. So they said, hey, and tell the Pharisees uh, what happened. Well, man, there's a guy and he came and he, you know, he made a clay out of some dirt and he put it on my eyes and I washed it off. And he told me to wash it off and um, I was able to see verse 15 then again the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight and he said unto them he put clay on mine eyes and I washed and do you see therefore said some of the Pharisees this man is not of God because he keepeth not the Sabbath day others said how can he uh, how can a man that is a sinner do such miracles and there was a division among them so this man doesn't realize it but he's in court he's in court He doesn't realize he's in court, but they're there. There's a crowd. The Pharisees are there. And they said, okay, tell us what happened. Tell us what happened. And he's like, man, someone came and he he healed my eyes and I was able to see. And they're saying, well, how was he able to do this? And some saying, well, man, if he was able to perform this miracle, then that's no ordinary man. But in the same in the same light. Some people will say, man, if he's able to do this stuff, he can't be of God, right? So they're kind of questioning what's going on. And there's a little bit of a division going on among them. Verse 17. They say unto the blind man again, what sayest thou of him? He that opened, uh, that he opened thine eyes. He said he is a prophet. All right. So they're like, well, some people will say, well, I'm not sure uh, what if he's a, is he's a God or not, and some, some people are saying, well, I'm not sure if you can't say that he isn't, because look at these great gifts. So they go to the man who actually got healed, and they're like, well, what do you think? He said he's a prophet, so what do, you, what do you think? Verse 18, But the Jews did not believe concerning him that he had been blind and received his sight until they called the parents of him that had received his sight. So now they're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I don't even know if this guy was actually really blind. I mean, he could be pulling one over our eyes. No pun intended, right? He could be pulling a fast one on us. He could be, he could be you know, messing us and trying to play a prank on us. We don't even know if this guy was really even blind. So how do we find out? We're going to go to his mama, right? We're going to go to his parents and see, was he actually blind? Was he actually blind? So that's what they do. Verse 19. And they asked them, saying, is this your son? Who ye say was born blind? How then doth he now see? And his parents answered them and said, We know that this is our son, and that he was born blind, but by what means he now seeth, we know not. Or who hath opened his eyes, we know not. He is of age, ask him, he shall speak for himself. So they go to the parents and say, Hey, is this your kid? He's over here talking about that he was blind. I don't believe it. You know, was he actually blind or was he not? And and they said, Yeah, this is our son. And yeah, he was born blind, uh, but how he's able to see now and who did it, I can't tell you, man. He's a grown man. Ask him. You know, he'll tell you. He'll tell you. Verse 22, these words spake his parents because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had, had agreed already that if any man did confess that he was Christ, he should be put out of the synagogue. So this is a, this is a class act of excommunication, Right? They didn't want someone. They didn't want to get kicked out of church, and so what was happening? They said, "Man, if you any one of y'all confess that he's Jesus, that Jesus is the Christ, then you're out." And so they tried to they tried to uh, uh, to deflect it, right? Let, go. Ask my son. I don't know. I don't know. Of course, it's your mama. My mama know all the th- all the stuff, right? Your mama know all the stuff, but she's like, "I don't. I don't know. I don't, I don't know." Go ask him. He's a grown man. He can. And they deflected it because they were afraid. Um, of the threat that was given to them by the Jews. Verse 23. Therefore said his parents, he is of age, ask him. So they, they kind of bring that to them again. Verse 24. Then again call they the man that was blind and said unto him, give God the praise. We know that this man is a sinner. First off, y'all saw what they said? They said, give God the praise. This man is a sinner. They're saying, they don't understand that Jesus and God are the same person. They're the same person. He says, Man, this guy's a sinner. Don't, 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 don't give him the praise. Give God the praise that you're able to see. Verse 25. He answered and said, Whether he be a sinner or no, I know not. One thing I know that whereas I was blind, now I see. So, like, man. I don't know what y'all call him. If you're calling him a sinner, you're calling him a saint. But all I know is that I was blind once and now I can see amazing grace. How sweet the sound. That's all I know. All I know is that he came and he did what he was supposed to do. He put the clay on my eyes. I washed it off in the, in the pool like he told me to do. And when I cleared that clay, I was able to see. So say what you want about him. But that happened. You can't, you can't deny it. You can't displace that. Verse 26. Then said they to him again, What did he to thee? How opened he thine eyes? Verse twenty-seven. He answered them, I have told you already, and ye did not hear. Wherefore would ye hear it again? Will ye? Okay. So he says, Okay, um, I already told you this already. I already told you this. Why you asking me again? Have y'all ever watched an interrogation? Yeah. Maybe you've watched CSI Miami. You've watched Law and Order, SVU. The police to get you there. They sit you down. And what do they do? They interrogate you. Now, can someone tell me what's something that they, they do when they keep asking you the same questions over and over? What are they trying to do? They're trying to see if you have any inconsistencies. They're trying to see if your story is going to stick. See, he's saying, why do you keep asking me these questions? I already told you these already. They knew what they were doing. Listen, let's go ahead and keep asking the same question over and over and over again, and we'll see if his story sticks, because when people are lying, what do they do? They mess up, right? They skip stuff or they forgot they said stuff, because what happens? You tell a lie, you need a lie to cover a lie, and that lie to cover that lie, you got to have a fantastic memory to be a liar, right? you got to have a fantastic memory to be a liar, and that's what they were hoping. They were hoping that man, he'd say something that could... They were, and remember, they weren't concerned about the man. They were concerned about Christ. They wanted, they wanted to catch him in a lie so that they can defame Christ. All right? And so far, it's not quite working the way they want to. He said, wherefore would you hear it again? Will you also be his disciples? And so they're kind of be like, man, you keep asking me this question. What are you going to do? Follow him? You want to get all the details so that you can become a disciple also? Kind of a little funny there. Twenty-eight. Then they reviled him and said, "Thou art his disciple, but we are Moses' disciples." Who? First off, something that that happened that's a little bit different from times past. Who were they claiming to? Who were they claiming in the past chapters? Anyone remember who was the person that they kept saying, Abraham, right? And did you notice what happened, church? When Jesus Christ said, "Abraham can't be your father," because Abraham. Followed me. Abraham testified of me. Abraham loved me. Abraham was happy to see my day. Right? He said, man, y'all are not Abraham's child. Y'all are, y- y'all are of your father the devil. And then he had to run away and, and, and hide among the people because they sought to kill him. Right? They took up stones. Right? They, they sought to kill him. And so now that he displaced all of that in front of all those people, they switched up who they followed. Right? It's no longer Abraham. Now we're talking about being followers of Moses. I thought, all, I thought that was really funny. That that was really funny. Anyway, they're saying, man, you're Jesus Christ's disciple, and we are Moses' disciples. Which, of course, Moses is uh, the person who penned the law, right? The first five books of the law. And so now they're saying, man, we follow the law, and what the law has to offer, you follow this Christ person, and, and we, don't, uh, we, don't, we don't really rock with that. Um, so he says, uh, we know that God spake unto Moses, verse 29, as for this fellow, we know not from whence he is. They are so disrespectful. That is so disrespectful. As for this fellow, this guy, whoever he is, this, this nobody, whoever, whatever he's got going on. They're kind of de- 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 trying to dis- take his name. This fellow, we don't know what's going on. We knew that Moses was of God. We cannot say the same uh, for this individual. So I'm not sure uh, what to tell you. I'm not sure what to tell you. Verse 30. This man also, uh, this man answered and said unto unto them, Why, herein is a marvelous thing that ye know not from whence he is, and yet he hath opened mine eyes. So he says, man, a great thing happened. I was blind, and now I am able to see, and you don't know him, you don't know where he came from, you don't know what he's got going on, but it's like all of that has overshadowed this amazing thing that has happened. I mean, I'm able to see now. I'm a grown man that has been blind from my birth, and now I'm finally able to experience color and see the manifestation of all the sounds that I've been hearing right in front of me. And that's overshadowed because you don't know who he is or where he came from. Why is that important? You can see he's a little upset. Verse 31. Now we know that God heareth not sinners, but if any man be a worshiper of God and doeth his will, him he heareth. Since the world began, was it not heard that any man opened his eyes? One of that was born blind. So he says, man, you've never heard this before. You have never heard from the beginning of time of someone being born blind and then them being able to see. I'm the first you've heard of. There's got to be something special going on here. You can't, you can't, you know, so he's, you, you can't put that away. So he's standing up for himself. He says in verse 33, if this man were not of God, he could do nothing. If he wasn't of God, y'all are, not, y'all are not sure who he came from. I'll tell you this. If he wasn't of God, he wouldn't have been able to cure my sight." He wouldn't have been able to do it. Verse 34. They answered and said unto him, Thou wast altogether born in sins, and dost thou teach us? And they cast him out. I read that real fast. Let me slow it down for you. They answered and said unto him, Thou wast altogether born in sins, and dost thou teach us? And they cast him out. Who do you think you are to try to tell us what God can do and who God sent and what, what we got going on? Man, you're a low-life, dirty, rotten sinner. Ain't nothing holy about you. Get out. Get out. And they cast them out. Here's some takeaways. you ready, church? Number one. Check the extension of your tradition. Check the extension of your tradition. That's exactly what we're going through on the church etiquette series. Listen to me. Tradition is not wrong if it's following biblical principles. But the biblical principles are the foundation for the tradition, not vice versa. Not vice versa. And that's exactly why we're going through that church etiquette series on Sunday mornings or Sunday afternoons. So that we can sit down and see what does scripture say and what does man-made and if it's man-made, should it stick? That's the whole purpose. We're combing God's word to see what he's saying about the way that we operate um, in the church. They were so concerned about the Sabbath. That's the first thing that that they mentioned that he was healed on the Sabbath day. The whole time, they had an, they had an entire court proceeding. They, they brought out all the Pharisees. They brought out the Sanhedrin. They brought out all the people to put this man on trial to see what exactly went on. Why? Because Jesus healed him on the Sabbath day. Jesus healed him on the Sabbath day. They were more concerned with what, the, what would happen on the Sabbath than they were about the fact that this man got his sight back. That something miraculous happened. Listen to me, church. We get so caught up on how the work is done that we neglect the work itself. That we neglect the work itself. I'm going to share a story that I'm not exactly proud of. There was someone, because you guys love hearing about about my former dating life, so I'll share some more stories. It was after a really bad breakup, right? And... We had what's called Christian service, and there was all kinds of stuff. There were Bible clubs at the park. Uh, we, I was part of a, a Bible club that went to the juvenile detention center for boys, and there was another one that went to the juvenile detention center, same property, but for the girls. Right? Well, of course, we'd all get done around the same time, so we'd meet outside, and we'd talk, how'd it go on the girls' side today, yada, 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 yada. Well, this ex-girlfriend of mine was part of that female group. Right? And they told me that they were praying uh, for this one girl, this really rough girl that had gone through some really, um, really horrible stuff, was in a really dark place in life, and we were, they were praying for this girl for months to get saved. Well, that night, my roommate and I were in our rooms, and my roommate said, X, guess what happened? He said, remember so-and-so that we've been praying for for so long? I said, yeah. He said, man, you wouldn't forget it, but this girl, led her to the Lord, and she got saved today. I said, oh, that's nice. And went on about my business, right? <laughs> Brother Bill, you laughing at <laughs> me. Brother Bill, you laughing at me. I was like, oh, that's nice. Right? I went on about stuff, and when I got back in there, uh, my roommate was sitting on his bed. He said, excellent, let me talk to you for a second. Have a seat. And he ripped me apart. <laughs> he man, he told me all the way off. He says, Man, I don't care what happened what was going on, but he said, a soul got saved today, and you, being the president of the ministerial class, should have been one of the most excited people about what happened today, and you weren't, instead, you just downed and just downpoured on all that was going on, because, see, I was upset with who the person was that did it. It overshadowed the great thing that happened where the Bible says that angels rejoice in heaven when one gets saved. Where the Bible talks about how God will leave the 99 for the one. Like the fact that someone received Christ as their personal Lord and Savior was one of the most amazing things that had, that had to happen that day. And it was overshadowed by my feelings because of how it was done. How does that relate to you, church? We have to get out of that place where we're like, well, if it's not done the way that it's always been done, then it's not important. It's not worth it. It shouldn't have been done. You think I don't understand that coming here and being the eighth pastor of Orlando Baptist Temple and changing stuff and working on different things? You don't think I understand that that rattles people? I know it does, which is why people leave, which is why people do different things. It happens, I understand. But you have to look at this. It's not so much, as long as it's under the the confines of Scripture and it's taking a biblical approach to things, a shift in how things are being done should not matter should not matter. What happens when we go out there and we say, hey, this is a little bit different than what's been done in the past 67 years that's been happening at Orlando Baptist Temple. And no, I'm not here to change everything and ruin all that's been done before me. I would never disrespect the office that way. But what I am saying is that we have to make sure we understand that we, when we do that, we limit the work of God and we limit the boundaries of our ministry. We limit the boundaries of our ministry. We become one-dimensional. If we're not looking at getting involved in nursing home ministries and, and, and getting involved in the homeless outreach and, and all these different things, you know if we do all of this stuff and one person gets saved, it's worth it? Right. If for the next 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, we try all these different things and nothing happens and our church continues to, to bleed until there's no one left and, I, and me and my wife have to close the doors down but one person got saved, it was worth it. We get so caught up in how things were. We love going back to the people of old and the preachers of old and the pastors of old. And sure, they did a great work. But what's happening now? What are we doing now? And if it's different, but it's still communicating the gospel message in a, in a biblical fashion, why does it matter? They were so focused on the fact. By the way, Jesus Christ said they came to Jesus Christ, and we'll see this a little bit later. But they said, hey, how come the, the disciples don't have to follow the rules of the Sabbath? Your disciples should be the ones that follow it the most. Why aren't they? He says, because I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. And when they're with me, they don't have to answer to y'all. I supersede the Sabbath. I am the Lord of the Sabbath. It was made in, in my honor. They can do as they please when they're with me. We get so focused on making sure church is done at 10 and, and our, our Sunday school is at 10 and that church is at 11 and that, you know, afternoon services at three and that soul winning happens on Saturday from 10 to 12 and we get so caught up in how regimented everything is that we stifle the Holy Spirit we have to break free of those bonds and say spirit work how you need to work when's the last time as a church we said Lord just do what you need to do in this place yeah. how you want to do it let me tell you this church I need I'm gonna say this and even on the podcast I don't care who listens we have to say, I, have to, I have to say this the ministry at Orlando Baptist Temple is different from every single other church in our network. You understand that, right? Yeah. Do you understand that all the people from all the other areas, from all of our sister churches, view this city a lot different than they view theirs? I would not even dare to say that a lot of those ministers can't come here to Pine Hills and minister. They wouldn't know how. Right. We are, we're uniquely different. As a matter of fact, every church is uniquely different. Listen to me, and I'm going to say this right now. I understand that, that Pine Hills is a predominantly ethnic city. But it was some of my professors from my college, white men, who were saying the first thing they said to me was this. Every ministry is different. Every ministry's needs are different. We can't look to the left and look to the right. We can look to the Lord. Because your ministry will not match everyone else's ministries. I'm glad to have sister churches. And I'm glad to have friends but Orlando Baptist Temple doesn't work how Starlight works. Not the same group of people. Not the same things happen. We have to make sure that we say, okay, we want to stick by the stuff. We want to be biblical. We want to be scriptural. But can we just do what the Lord needs us to do and not worry about, listen to me, y'all. I don't worry about what anybody else has going on. Dr. Riggs used to say this to me. He'd pull me in his office and sometimes and he'd say, Xavier? And I'd say, yes, sir. He'd say, man, I'm sorry you don't get to, you don't get, to ask, um, get asked out to preach as much as you probably should. And I said, Dr. Riggs, as long as God is happy that you're pleased as being my senior pastor, me being your assistant, and Orlando Baptist Temple and this needs are taken care of, I don't, get, I don't care if I get asked to preach anywhere else ever again. Why? Because I'm here for our ministry. I'm here for Pine Hills. I'm here to see what's what's being done here. I don't give two flips about what's going on over there. More power to you. But if they're like, hey, we don't want him over here, then so be it. I don't care. Because Pine Hills needs Orlando Baptist Temple to be a lighthouse. And that's going to require us to remove the bounds that we've put on the Holy Spirit. I'm not saying take what we've had through tradition and throw it in the trash. I'm saying parallel it to scripture and see what kind of modifications can be made to meet the needs that we have here. That's it. They were so caught up. Like, hey, it's the Lord of the Sabbath. It's the Sabbath day and he healed them. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. And that's not okay. Number two. Second takeaway. When people can't answer for God, they try and disprove them. You hear me? When people cannot answer for God... They try and disprove him. The Bible says that our ways are not God's ways and our thoughts are not God's thoughts. They tried to say that the man didn't get healed after he, they tried to question him out of it. You saw what they did? They said, hey, you got healed. How did you get healed? What happened? And when they heard how he did it, what they do? Well, nah, he didn't really get healed. He's lying. Let's go ask his mom. And then they tried to, de- when, they, when that didn't work, and they, they kept asking him the same question three times asking him the same question they couldn't figure out what to do they started trying to disprove the name of Jesus well he can't be the Christ give God praise not the sinner we don't know what's going on with this guy we, we we can answer for Moses we can't say anything for anything for this fellow by the way as I as I if I remember correctly in the Bible the, the children of Israel did not treat Moses right as a matter of fact it was the people That pushed Moses to lose one of the greatest things that he prepared his entire life for. It was the people. That consistently murmured and consistently complained. Consistently were were disapproving. And consistently just just got under Moses' stand until he finally just struck that rock out of anger and cost him the promised land. Moses was so faithful he was so faithful to God he put up with a lot of garbage from those people and there's millions of Jews and he did all that he could he, he took Jethro's advice and appointed uh, laymen over the, all the different ministries and doing his best to be a servant of God and got to the point where he was looking into the wilderness into the, into the promised land and could not get it why? because of the people the same ones who's praising him now see how people can be fickle how emotions can be fickle Whatever it does to, to, to meet our needs and what we want and what, and what we have going on. They, they, they can't explain God or his mind or, or his ways. And so what they try to do is disprove him. Y'all got to be prepared for that. How well can you defend your faith? Because what people are going to start doing is they're going to say, I don't believe in your God. So now what? What do you got? The Bible says in 1 Peter that we should all be willing to give an answer. Be ready to give an answer. Can you do it? Which is one of the reasons why I am a huge three-two-thrive person because we don't say that we don't have the same service three times a week. We're looking at all elements of the Bible. We're looking at evangelical messages on Sunday mornings, deep uh, topical messages on Sunday nights, and and expository verse-by-verse stuff on Wednesdays, like we're doing now, so that you can say, "Hey, I looked for that for myself in the Word, and I can defend God." But if you're reading this passage, this man was doing just that, man. He was doing everything he could to defend God, defend Jesus. And what happened when they couldn't get him to reclaim his statement? Get out. You willing to lose for Jesus? <clears throat> you want to lose? Right now I know of a young woman. I met her... Uh, um, I get on PlayStation sometimes, not as much as I would like to because of school, but and family and church and all that stuff, but once in a while I get on, and there are some friends, uh, one of my mentors is on there, Brother Mike's on there, um, and a couple of friends that we met through them, and uh, and there's one girl on there, and this one girl, she, um, she's Asian, right, and Brother Mike has been able to present the gospel to her, we would be online witnessing y'all, mm-hmm. alright, to so present the gospel to her, and she shared this, she says, I'm afraid of what my family will think. I hear it. And I believe it. And I want to receive it. But I'm afraid of what it might cost me. Or <coughs> oh, you're afraid of what it might cost you. Because they had this man on trial. And by the way the Jews were fantastic at putting one person in the midst of a whole bunch of people to humiliate them. They did the same thing to the woman at the well. They, they, they tried to do that. They tried to do the same thing. Or the woman of Samaria. Excuse me. Caught in adultery. What happens when your life is put on trial? Do your friends even know that you're a Christian? Your family? Your co-workers? Your classmates? Or would they be shocked to know that you're in church tonight? When people can't find an answer to God, they try and disprove Him. I mean, I can't believe the way that they were just dragging the name of Christ in this passage today. Calling Him a sinner. They were half right. Only because he was going to be taking on the the sins of all the world to die on the cross for us. A little bit of foreshadowing happening there. Number three, verse 31, gave us a little shout out to uh, a little reminder. Verse 31 said, uh, Now we know that God heareth not sinners, but if any man be a worshiper of God and doeth his will, him he heareth. That's a little bit of a testimony to Psalm 66, verse 18. If the Lord regard iniquity in my heart, or if I regard Iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. Of course, we know that sin does not break relationship with God, but it does break fellowship, right? If I, if my mom has to smoke my ham, I don't stop being her son, but we're just not cool right now, right? That's how that goes. But remember that you got to Remember that that little asterisk in there. Remember, just a reminder that sin blocks fellowship with God. So keep those lines open. And number four, and lastly, for tonight. Sorry, I'm moving so fast. Here we go. Reminder, uh, uh, sin blocks fellowship with God. Number three. So number one was check the extension of your tradition. Number two, when people can't answer for God, they try and disprove him. Number three, remember that sin blocks fellowship with God. And number four, be careful that your longevity, uh, bless you, be careful that your longevity isn't isn't an excuse for you not to grow. Be careful that your longevity is not an excuse for you not to grow. I love what Paul said, right? Because Paul, arguably one of the greatest Christians to ever live, I mean, wrote 14 out of the 27 books of the New Testament, went from chief Pharisee to to chief Christian, and he was a fantastic uh, child of God. But even he said, I have not arrived. By the way, church, Paul was an accomplished man. If you know about Paul, Paul had a lot going on. He was a highly esteemed official. He was very powerful man. I mean, Paul was citing death notes. He's the one that was doing it. Powerful man, and he gave all of that up to be a child, a follower of God. But sometimes Christians can get to the point where they've been in the game so long that they think they are. What's the word I'm looking for? They think that they are uh, immune, or 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 uh, you know they're they're outside of the boundaries of being taught or or learning uh, because they've been around the block a few times. They said, man, you're a sinner. How do you, you can't teach us anything. Is that your attitude? If if, if it's not somebody that's highly esteemed or someone that you think is important, that the gospel, listen to me, no matter who is occupying this pulpit, as long as the word is open, it's important. Mm -hmm. The word was here before me It's here with me now and it'll still be here after I'm gone. It's important for us to remember that just because you've been a Christian for a certain amount of time or you know the word a certain certain amount of time does not mean that you are exempt from being taught. Shoot. I I would be willing to even say that if that's you, you got a heart condition, my friend. You need to do some altar work. It's important for us to remember those things. That number one, you got to check the extension of your tradition. Tradition ain't nothing wrong with it. As long as it's not standing in the gap and being dogmatic like it's scripture. We can't answer for God. People will try, to, will try and disprove him. That's, what, that's what's happening. Well, There's no God. We can't. And it was funny. It, it's the same stuff that people are saying nowadays that have been said back then. There's no God. We can't see him. And Scripture answers all of those questions. John chapter 3 for that question. When people can't answer for God, they try and disprove Him. Number three, remember that sin blocks your, your fellowship with God. Remember to keep that line open. How were they able to identify Christ? This man who, what was his chief argument? If he was not of God, he could not do any of these things. Someone said this before, if your faith was put on trial, would there be enough evidence to convict you of being a Christian? Remember Peter? And Peter was like a, They were saying, hey, you're with Jesus. And he said, no, I'm not. They came back. Hey, you were with Jesus. No, I'm not. And the third time, what did he do, church? He, he cursed Christ, right? And they didn't ask him anymore. Right? See, there's going to be two groups of people in here. There's going to be the people that's like, hey... I, I've been knew that so-and-so was a, was a Christian. Look at the way that she presents herself or carries herself. It, it's evident. She didn't even have to tell me. Or there's the person that's like, well, didn't know that. That's news to me. That second half terrifies me. I want to be emphatically known that my life is given to Christ. And that's hard because what does it do? That now puts you in a place where you had to be accountable. Your attitude, how you, how you respond to stuff, the way that you speak, the way that your demeanor, the way that you carry yourself, all of that stuff is going to be important. Yeah. Because now they're going to say, you're a child of God, let's see you act like it. Mm-hmm. One thing that I've learned from this is, and we're done, is as annoying as the Pharisees and the Jews have been through nine and a half chapters of, of John, I still keep seeing myself. I still keep seeing myself missing the point asking stupid questions. Like, is this really God? Is this really what he's doing? Is this start rationalizing why we should do things or get be a part of stuff because we're angry or because we're sad or because we we don't understand things. And just like this man was Christ gets put on trial for many on in many of our hearts all the time when his track record is perfect when are you going to stop putting Christ on trial and trust him that's the big thing stop putting Christ on trial and trust him let's pray